The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This morning, you know, it's our last Sunday before Christmas, which is crazy. And, and as I think about that, there's a, a little tradition that I've had over the past few years that I'm keeping alive this year, which is that every Sunday before Christmas, I like to wear my ugly Christmas sweater. And so if you're just going, what is he wearing? This is on purpose, okay? This is on purpose. I had a student this morning say to me, you know that's really ugly. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's kind of the point. And he was like, okay, just, just letting you know. So anyway, so we are glad you're here on our last Christmas before Sunday, uh, before uh, uh, Christmas, our last Sunday before Christmas. We're going to get there. It's 28 degrees outside. What do you expect? All right. We've been in this series for Advent called Unexpected. And the very first week we talked about in Matthew chapter 1, we look at the genealogy of Jesus, and it's an unexpected family. That's where Jesus comes from. It's not the type of family we would put together for the Savior of the world. And yet there it is, flaws and all. And we've been looking deeper into that family. And so then we looked at uh, the second week, Unexpected Solutions. We looked at the story of Rahab. And in the story of Rahab, we see God's infinite creative power being being able to bring solutions that we can't even dream or imagine. And that's what he did on Christmas, and that's what he does for us every day since. We looked at last week, unexpected work. We looked at Zerubbabel rebuilding uh, uh, the temple there in Jerusalem. And, and we see that, that God, is, uh, God is at work calling all of us as Christ followers to do God-sized work, to, to have us participate in things that only he can accomplish. And these two people we talked about. They are spiritual giants. These are heroes, right? You'll find Rahab in Hebrews. Hebrews is kind of like the the hall of fame uh, for our faith, right? And you'll find her there in that hall of fame. These are big time heroes, which makes the person we're looking at today all the more shocking because the one that stands out is in Matthew chapter one. If you look at verse 11 and 12, he's in there twice and his name is Jeconiah and he was a king of Judah. And and he's really, it's really surprising that he's there because Listen to, listen to him. In 2 Kings 24.9, it says this about him. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. So there are a bunch, a bunch of different kings that had, had betrayed uh, the Lord, basically. They had led God's people away from God, and Jeconiah continued that. And he is in the lineage of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 1. And so what happens is that Nebuchadnezzar comes, and God brings the Babylonian Empire there and conquers and overthrows Israel and Judah. And so he becomes a prisoner, Jeconiah does. And look at the Lord's judgment on Jeconiah. This is in Jeremiah 22. I think you can follow along with me. This is what the Lord says. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I'll abandon you, Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Even if you were the signet ring on my right hand, I would pull you off. Skip to verse 30. This is what the Lord says. Let the record show that this man, Jeconiah, was childless. He's a failure. For none of his children will succeed him on the throne of David to rule over Judah. This is a really big words from the Lord to this man. He's saying, look, even even as you are my signet ring, you carry my authority, I would rip you off of my finger and throw you and your mother and my people into a land that they they do not know and they will die there and your children will not sit on my throne. I will not bless your descendants after you. It's an incredible, incredible darkness that's here in uh, in the lineage of Jesus, an unexpected 
darkness. Now, however it's unexpected, it's not a fluke. You think that this might just be a fluke. There's a lot of happy things that go along with the Christmas story. Jeconiah being here is kind of a fluke. It's kind of a, a one-off here, but, and, and, but that's not true. I mean, when we talk about the Christmas story, we talk about it in, the, in really nice terms, and it's a, it's a nice thing to talk about. You know, we, we have nativity scenes all over our house, and when we go to bed at night with our kids, we talk about Jesus, and we talk about these nativity scenes. And, and so if you were to ask my kids about it, they would tell you that, well, Mary had, had Jesus in her belly and, and Joseph led her to, uh, to, the, to the inn and, and then they stayed here in this stable or cave or whatever and, and Jesus was born and angels showed up and shepherds showed up and it was great and, and all this other stuff. But the reality is like there's some real difficulty there. The, the story isn't as neat and clean as we think. I mean, if you think about now, you've got to go all the way back to Bethlehem. You're Joseph. You've got to go all the way back to Bethlehem with your pregnant wife and then when you get there, there, her water breaks, right? You don't know where you're going. You don't know if you're going to have a place or not. And now she's going to have the baby right now. And so you end up in this place where the animals sleep, whether it's a stable, whether it was a cave, whatever, but you end up in this place that's not exactly conducive to birthing a child. And that's where you've got. So imagine the fear and the stress and the anxiety. And the Christmas story is, is, is a story of incredible joy, inexpressible joy even. And yet there is also unexpected darkness. Besides Jeconiah here in the lineage of Jesus, you find it in Matthew chapter 2. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, like, like we've been in, in Matthew 1, we've got the genealogy. In Matthew 2, we, we see the birth of Jesus, and, and then we see the wise men showing up. And Bethlehem was a small town, maybe 300 people. You know, I don't know if you grew up in a small town like that. Bethlehem's like Mayberry, basically. And so there's like 300 people. So they noticed that day when the wise men, when that, when that giant group of magi shows up from the east, these men who are dressed unlike people they've ever seen with all these treasures and they got their huge posse with them and they're coming through the town. They saw that. They saw that day. They would have noticed that. They would have noticed the celebration. They would have noticed when they left. But Matthew chapter two continues. There's this unexpected darkness that happens when they would have noticed when Herod has sent his soldiers in and they would have noticed when the soldiers begin to drag out any infants or any boys that were under the age of two and they would have noticed when they slaughtered them in the street. They would have noticed when they, killed the mothers and the fathers who resisted them. They would have noticed that. There were only 300 of them. They would have known one another. They would have known the boys that were killed by Herod's soldiers. They would have known that. So this is in the Christmas story. Matthew 2 has this incredible story of joy and God reaching out and extending his arms to the east to pull these people in to say that I want you as a part of my story and I want to save you and there's no one too far from me. And it ends with this uh, infanticide, right? It ends with all of these children being killed. There's real darkness here. Now, it's unexpected, yes, but it's not unfamiliar to us, is it? Now, we've not seen something like this. I hope we've not seen something like this, but we know darkness. Romans 1 tells us that our world is groaning to be set free from its curse. We know darkness. We see it around us when the world is not as it should be. You know, yesterday, we had that inclement weather hit, right? I remember telling Angela, I said, well... 
if, uh, if you and the kids show up, that'll be about six people I'll get to preach to tomorrow. So well done. Way to be here. But when that weather hit, we started to watch the news. I don't normally watch the news. I don't normally turn on the, the local news. And, and so as I'm watching it, we're watching like, you know, uh, there's tornado coming and there's ice storm and, and, and you're, you're all, you just hunker under your sinks or whatever. My wife literally turns to me. She goes, we should get the kids and put them under the sink. And I went, who told, why? Who told you to do that? And she goes, it just seems like a safe place. And I went, okay, well, why don't we wait until something actually happens before we start make, putting them where we keep the toilet paper? And so anyway, we're sitting there and we're watching this weather report. And then like these stories come up. And the story comes up with these two boys who were playing on the ice just a couple of days ago in Kentucky. And they fell through the ice and they drowned. That's darkness, right? I mean, it's Christmas, there's, their parents probably have gifts under the tree already wrapped for them, and they won't open them. This Christmas, instead of making plans to spend with family, they're going to bury their children. That's darkness. When you look at, if you, if you watch the news at all, and you see what's happening in Aleppo and in Syria, I'm over here worried about, I haven't bought enough gifts, and you have orphans who are being denied access to safe zones. There's darkness all around. I mean, when you think about this Christmas, maybe that's true for you. Maybe for some of you, this will be the first Christmas without that special somebody. Or maybe it'll be the 50th, but it doesn't matter because there's darkness every year. Maybe this Christmas will be the first time that's filled with radiation and chemo treatments. Maybe this Christmas will be the first time where, where you, will, you will experience this type of suffering. I don't know. But we know darkness. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to guess. We don't have to talk about it like in in these abstract terms. We have personal, real examples. We know this darkness even now. But there's good news. And this is how John starts his gospel. Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. And that's where we've been. But, But look at John's gospel. Follow along with me. Here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that made, anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Listen to this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness is here. It absolutely is. But here's the good news of Christmas, that that Jesus, the light of the world, shines into the darkness and there's nothing the darkness can do about it. The darkness would move against us. The darkness would move to oppress us. The enemy would work against us to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I am the light. I've come into the darkness and I've come to give you life and life to the full and the darkness can't do anything about it. The darkness can't overcome the light. Not all of the violence in the world, not all of the tragedy that we could suffer, not all of the, not all of the, uh, the afflictions that would be ab- upon us can overcome the light because Jesus is the light of the world. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. This is where we're gonna be today. 2 Corinthians 4, I, I wanna talk more about the light, but let me just keep reading in verse six of chapter four. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We know the glory of God because we know Jesus. The light has broken through the darkness of our world and the pain and the suffering and the hopelessness in in himself as Jesus. He's come into our world. He's broken through that darkness and now we get to experience the glory of God. That's what it says. He has shown the very glory of God in our hearts through Jesus, his son. Darkness 
can't conquer that joy. It can't touch that joy because God has shown his joy in our hearts through Jesus. I want to stay in Paul's letter to the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians 4. And I want to look at four truths about light in darkness. Would you follow along with me? Let's start reading in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal let me walk you through just a few things about how light relates to darkness here in this passage darkness one darkness falls but light has come Darkness falls, but light has come. Looking there in verse seven through nine again, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And what does it say? It says we're afflicted in every way. It says we're crushed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. So darkness falls. There's no escaping that. It hits all of us. We talk about it and maybe this Christmas is better than others, but darkness falls on all of us at some point. Oswald Chambers wrote in his book, Christian Discipline, he used the three crosses as an example he wrote about it saying this suffering is the heritage of the bad of the penitent and of the son of God each one ends in the cross the bad thief is crucified the penitent thief is crucified and the son of God is crucified by these signs we know the widespread heritage of suffering we suffer darkness falls it falls on all of us in this broken world but light has come And we see that that means that the light, he, Jesus, is with you. Look in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We suffer because we're jars of clay. We're vulnerable. We suffer because we can suffer. We're, we, we can be broken. We can be gotten to. Think about jars of clay. I don't, I don't really have any jars of clay at home, but we have things made of ceramic. Think about it like that. That might be more fragile. Every year we bring our kids to the store and let them buy their own uh, Christmas ornaments. They get to pick out a Christmas ornament every year. And last year, uh, my daughter wanted this Elsa ornament from the movie Frozen, the Disney movie. And she wanted this Elsa ornament and it was ceramic. And so we're like, no. Maybe, maybe you should pick this one out. And she's like, no, 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 this is the one I want. And she's my daughter, so she got it. And so she gets it. And I said, don't drop it. She goes, I won't, daddy. And we took like two steps and like Elsa, she just let it go. And Elsa is everywhere. She's all over the floor. And uh, I said, well, sweetie. And she starts crying. And I said, Elsa's dead. No, I'm just kidding. No, I said... I said, let's go get another ornament. Let's go get another ornament. So we go back to go get another ornament. And uh, as we go pick out the ornaments, what does she want? She wants another ceramic Elsa. And I'm like, Piper Grace, 
when she hits the ground, she explodes. Like, please, 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 like, pick another ornament. She's like, no, this is the one I want, Daddy. And I was like, well, okay. So she got that one. We went a few more aisles, and then she breaks again. And so I was like, that's it. I'm picking your ornament out. And I go over, and I get the exact same one. And I bring it over to her, and I was like, but I'm gonna hold it. And so she ends up getting that one. It's still on our tree to this day. But I think about, when I think of jars of clay, I think about that vulnerability of like that ceramic Elsa there. We suffer because we are vulnerable like that. But what does it say? We have a treasure in us. We have the power of God in us. That means that he is with us even when we suffer. When the darkness falls, we still have the light with us. Psalm 34, 18 through 19. The Lord is close to the Brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The light always shows up in the darkness, always has and always will. He's there. Not only is he there, but, but he also knows. He knows. There's a scripture in Hebrews 2 about Jesus. It starts in verse 17. It says, So he had to be made, that's Jesus, like his brothers in every way, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God in order to make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knows. When the darkness falls, Jesus has been there. Jesus knows our weaknesses. He knows, he knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He's, he's watched loved ones die. He's buried his father. He's been betrayed. He suffered the greatest injustice of all time. He suffered his body failing. He's been alone, more alone than anyone will ever know. He knows. And it should comfort us to know that he knows. Think about it. Isn't that what we want when, when we suffer, when we're dealing with something difficult? I want to talk to someone who knows my pain, right? Really knows my pain. When you think about support groups, if you go to Grief Share, who's there? People who know. If you go to AA, who's there? People who know. When I think about the time when, when we were taking my daughter to Lebanon over and over and over again that year, you know who I wanted to talk to? People who knew. I wanted to talk to people who, who brought their child there, who know my helplessness firsthand, who know my grief firsthand, who know my despair firsthand. And Jesus' knowledge of us being afflicted and being perplexed and being persecuted, that's firsthand knowledge. He was made like us. He knows. That means it's his presence with you, it's informed. He knows. That comfort that he offers you, it's informed. He, he knows. He knows what you need because he had the same need. He knows. Darkness falls, but light has come. The second thing about darkness, darkness isn't free. Light's in control. Look back in verse 8 through 9. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. God is always in control. Darkness absolutely falls, but it's not free. Light is in control. When you think about Herod sending those troops in, what were they trying to do? Were they trying to just kill all those children? No. What were they, what were they really trying to do? They're trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to kill this new king. Herod was afraid. He was afraid this new king would threaten his power and his authority. And so he says, you know what? Go get him. And how in the world, how did Jesus get away? Because light's in control. God spoke through a dream and led them safely out of there and into Egypt. 
Like God is in control. Light is in control. Darkness can't do whatever it wants. God is in control always, even in our suffering. If you look in Luke 22, Jesus is speaking to Peter and he's telling him, look, you're gonna betray me at some point. I just want you to know that. But look at what he says. Look at verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. What's he saying? Satan wants you, Peter. Satan demanded that I give you to him. Darkness wanted to fall and wanted to crush you. But I said, no, I prayed for you. You'll deny me, but you'll turn back again. And when you do, strengthen your brothers. God is in control. We are vulnerable. That is absolutely true. We are the jars of clay, but the treasure we have in us is not vulnerable. Darkness falls, but it's not free. The light's in control, which brings us to the question of why. Then why? If light's in control, then why? Why does darkness move at all? Why is darkness allowed in my life at all? Why is this happening? Anytime we ask that question, it always makes me think of Job. It always makes me go back to Job. Job was a man who God allowed the darkness to fall on him. God allowed the darkness to take everything from him. His possessions, the lives of his family, his own health. And Job is asking God why, even hurling accusations at God. And God responds, and in chapter 38, he responds this way. First, he responds referencing the earth. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He references the sea. He says, who shut in the sea with doors when it's burst forth from the womb? The dawn, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? The depth and the breadth of the sea of the land. Job, you've never been to the bottom of the ocean. You've never seen completely around the world and you think you know enough to argue with me. What is God saying to Job? Job, all around you, if you look up at the stars, if you look at the ground underneath your feet, if you look at all of nature, you're surrounded by mysteries. Well, guess what, Job? Those aren't mysteries to me. I made those. If you can't even understand the mysteries I've surrounded you with, how can you ever expect to understand my ways? And that's what God says to us as well in Isaiah 55, 9. His thoughts and his ways are far higher than our ways. I cannot answer to you why God has allowed this darkness to fall on you. I cannot answer that. And even if God were somehow to give me the words, I can't promise you'd understand it. So I can't tell you why the illness is here or why the heartache is here or why this difficulty is falling on you right now. But we do know this, that he is with you and that he is in control. That this darkness is not free to move about your life. The light is still in control. And there's even more hope as we continue to talk about the light and the darkness. The third thing, darkness disrupts, but light works. Darkness disrupts, but light works. Think about it, darkness disrupts our lives. Every time that affliction hits, every time that difficulty hits, it disrupts our plans. Everything seems to be going well, and then this happens. Darkness disrupts. I mean, if you think about Bethlehem, they had some exciting days there celebrating this new family, celebrating this new special child, probably dancing in the streets over the Messiah has come and he's right here amongst us. And then darkness disrupted and tragedy struck and darkness set in. And that's what darkness does. It disrupts and it, and it, and it, and it rocks our worlds and there's injustice that disrupts everything and there's affliction that disrupts everything. I think about, I've got 
I've got family members who recently had a child and they were planning to celebrate and, and just how great would this be, their first child bringing him home and they get to celebrate together and have all these parties and all this other stuff. And the child was born and born uh, with leukemia. Now their child is in St. Jude and they've had to relocate their whole family and put their lives on hold to be there for their new child. That's what darkness does. It disrupts everything. But even though darkness disrupts life, works. The light accomplishes God's work. Look at verse 11 through 12. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is in you. Paul says our lives are always in danger, but that's okay because although our lives are in danger, you are now saved. There is, there is salvation spreading out to people even though our lives are in danger. God's work is always accomplished even in the darkest of places, which means that God's work for you is not limited by the darkness that you currently are in. God's good work that he wants to do for you is not limited by the darkness that you are in. God wants to accomplish something in your life, he'll accomplish it. God wants to bless you, he'll bless you. God will accomplish his work and the darkness can't disrupt that. Not only that, but the light also works to grow you. Look at verse 16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. God provides unique growth in the darkness. I mean, think about it, guys. Think about those dark moments for you. Those are the moments where our growth is most significant because it's in those moments where we really rely on God. We really trust in God. We really put our money where our mouth is. And we say, God, I've always trusted you. I've always believed in you. But when we have nothing else and he's our only hope, we cling harder and we, we scream louder and we rest on him even more than we have before. The light is growing us in these moments. It's easy to trust God when our bank account is full. It's easy to trust God when we're strong. It's easy to trust God when there's family all around us. But what about in those dark moments? And it's in those dark moments when we really focus on where our trust is. Think about that dark time in your life. Maybe it's recent. Maybe it's happening now. Maybe it's happened before. But think about that. Is that the point in your life where your faith had to get real? It had to get real. There was no playing games anymore. You weren't going to make it if you didn't trust God in that moment. And it's in those dark times when we endure, when we cling to him more than we've ever clinged to him before, that God does incredible things for us. Look at Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That means we are happy in these dark times. Why? Knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We are happy in the dark times because God is at work in us doing an incredible work to make us more like him. I'm happy in this, this difficult time, not because I'm happy with what's happening, but I'm happy because light is at work in me. God is changing me. I'm hearing him more clearly. I'm seeing him more than I've ever seen him before. God is at work. And haven't you noticed that in those believers who suffer and those believers who, who suffer faithfully, who cling to God. Haven't you noticed that usually when you talk to them and you try to comfort them, it's usually the other way around. 
It's usually them comforting you. Why is that? The light's at work. I mean, I think about, I think about, I think about Lynn and, and Coach as they suffer now. Coach is dealing with this lung cancer, this darkness over this Christmas season. Every time I've talked to either one of them, I try to be the pastor. Oh, hey, how, how are you doing? And, and I love you and all this other stuff. But the whole time they're, hey, God is good. Hey, you don't know what he's doing. I hear him more clearly. I see him moving in my relationships. What is happening? There's so much darkness there. How can they say this? Because the light's at work. That's his promise. The light is at work for them. He's doing something in them. I think that's why C.S. Lewis said, someone asked him, why do, why do the righteous suffer? And he says, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. And I think that's true because why? The light is at work. It's not because of us. I'm a jar of clay. You drop me, I shatter. If the pressure's too high, I break. But the, the treasure in me, the light is at work. He's at work strengthening and growing us. I think that's what Romans 8 means when it says that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's saying, look, even this darkness, I will use it and I'm gonna shape you and I'm gonna make you better. And that's his promise. The light's at work. But also the light prepares. Look at verse 17. For this light Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now listen, let's listen to me. There's, there's some weighty truth here I don't want us to miss. So this affliction, it's, it's, it's saying there's this affliction here. That's the darkness. That's the difficulty we're suffering. It's preparing for us. What does that mean? That means that the light is at work and it's using this darkness that means nothing but but hate for you and means nothing but death for you. The light is at work and it's using to prepare for you, prepare something for you, prepare what? An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So there's an eternal reward that's being prepared for you through your suffering. So because you suffer, because you suffer here, the light is using that, that difficulty and is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. There's some glory you'll experience in eternity that is so incredible that it would even, it can't even be compared to. So much so that one day you will look back at your suffering and you'll call it what? According to verse 17, light and momentary. Now listen to me, that means that God is so kind and so powerful and so active that not only does he not waste our suffering, he uses it to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory that when you receive it, will make your suffering, will make your affliction, will make your darkness appear as light and momentary. Now reminder, the man who wrote these words, let me tell you some of his afflictions that he's now calling light and momentary. He's been shipwrecked. His freedom. He's been in prison. He's been beaten and stoned almost to the point of death. He's been betrayed. He's been mistreated. He's suffered injustices. His own body has failed over and over again. He's seen his friends and those he loved killed and martyred. And he's saying now, light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that God's preparing for me through this suffering. This is light and momentary. And that's true for us. Your afflictions here in health, light and momentary. One day, 
light and momentary. Your loneliness, light and momentary. Burying your spouse, light and momentary. Burying your child, light and momentary. Now hear me, I don't say this lightly. The weight of your suffering is great now. It's a weight I can't imagine bearing at all. But here's what this is saying. God's work for you is so beyond our comprehension and so beyond our uh, we could ever dream is that when you receive the eternal weight of glory that's being prepared for you in your suffering, you will look back on these darkest moments of your life and all the tears you cried and all of the sorrow you felt and you will say light and momentary, not even worth to be compared to what the generous God has prepared for me. Do you understand this? That this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That means that, and I fully believe this is true, that our brother, Mark Wilson, who's already with the Lord, who suffered and died of cancer, that means that right now, he would look at us and say, light and momentary. That means that my former pastor who buried his child, who died of SIDS, would say, yes, as as heartbreaking as that was, as much that gutted my wife and me, light and momentary, what God has prepared for us, it's, it's beyond comparison. The light is at work preparing this for you. And when we understand that the light is at work for us in our suffering, preparing this eternal weight of glory, it changes the way we suffer. It changes the way we navigate this darkness. There's this Scottish Scottish preacher, George Matheson. He realized that he was not as ready to praise God in the darkness as he was in the light. And, And he began to suffer losing his eyesight And he changed his thinking. And after a few months of struggling with that, here's his prayer. My God, I have never thanked you for my thorn. I've thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorn. I've been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensated for my cross, but I've never thought of my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the value of my thorn. Darkness may disrupt. No, no, no. Darkness will disrupt, but thanks be to God that light works. Light works. The fourth and final thing, darkness ends, but light lasts. Look at verse 17 through 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Every work of darkness will end. It's transient. It's something we see. It will end. That illness will end. That, that, that pain will end. That disruption will end. That affliction will end. That suffering of yours will end. And it will end forever. It is transient. It does not last. But the darkness, thank God, the darkness is not the end of your story. And that's what makes me so filled with hope that I can look at all of you in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I can say the darkness that's fallen on you because of Jesus, because the light of the world has come in and saved you and changed you. He's rewritten your story. This is not the end of your story. It's not. The light has come and the light lasts. Are you in darkness today? Listen. 
listen to my words. I wanna read you. These are the Father's words to you. This is, this is the Father's heart to you right here. This is the end of your story. Revelation 21, let me read this to you. This is the end of our story. Darkness may have fallen, but the light has come. Listen to the end of our story. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This because of the light of the world, this is the end of our story. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the light has come. Lord, even as we celebrate this morning, we have to acknowledge that there is darkness all around us. Even as we celebrate your faithfulness to us, we have to acknowledge that we suffer. We suffer as long as we live here on a broken planet, Filled with the brokenness of our own sin, we suffer. And so God, my, my prayer this morning is that you would fill us with hope. You'd fill us with that joy of knowing that the light has come. Yes, darkness falls, but darkness will end. Yes, darkness is here, but darkness is limited. Darkness isn't free. The light is with us. The light controls. The light writes the end of our story. And the end of our story is to say goodbye forever to suffering. Is to say goodbye forever to the darkness. And to be with you. And to see you make all things new. So God, may we celebrate this Christmas. May we celebrate it with a with an open heart and an open mind and open eyes to the truth that yes, our world is dark, but the light has come. God, thank you for what you've done. We love you. We trust you. It's in your name. Amen.